in my opinion, they are the most remarkable words ever uttered by a human being. They're, they are the most incredible, and wonderful, awe-inspiring, breathtaking, and quite simply, the most flabbergasting words ever spoken by a human being. You want to know what they are? Here you go. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus said those words. Jesus says these words. Jesus is speaking these words right now to you and to me. Right now. Do you want to hear them again? Here you go. Listen to Jesus. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus just said those words to you. That was him speaking. Crazy, right? And how remarkable that he would invite us into his presence. It's incredible. It's breathtaking. It is flabbergasting. Now, when Jesus says that his yoke is easy... That's actually the Greek word for kindness. Did you know that? Isn't that crazy? My yoke is kindness. When someone is called easy in the Greek language and they use this word in relation to other people, the word has this special sense of being kind or gentle or friendly. It's the same word, actually, that's used in Romans 2, 4, which says, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness? and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. So when Jesus says his yoke is kind, he's saying that he is kind. He is gentle. He is caring. He is loving. And Jesus, the kindest, most caring, most gentle human being to ever live, is saying to you today, right now, Come unto me, and I will give you rest. What an invitation. What a welcome. This is the good news of the gospel. Jesus offers rest to weary sinners. Here's what Charles Spurgeon said about Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Come unto me, he says, and I will give you. You say... Lord, I cannot give you anything. He does not want anything. Come to Jesus and he says, I will give you. Not what you give to God, but what he gives to you will be your salvation. I will give you. That is the gospel in four words. Will you come and have it? It lies open before you. Jesus said these words because he knows that we need rest. We need rest in every area of our lives. We need rest from trying to earn God's favor and love. I still do that. I was doing it today, trying to earn my way. 
We need rest from still trying to earn God's favor and love, even though we know he gives it to us freely. We need rest from trying to please people. How many of you live your life trying to please people? You want to make other people happy. You want other people to like you. I've done that my whole life. It is exhausting. It will kill you. It will suck the life out of you because you can try and try and try, and you still may not please them, right? You're like, I did a good job of trying to please you. They're still not pleased. (gasps) We need rest from trying to do it all and be everything for everybody. And we need rest from the hectic pace of life that we all try to lead. We need rest. And these words of Jesus are so countercultural. Our world and our culture is just a fast paced, work nonstop, spend your weekends running around, never getting rest. Oh, Jesus, is it Monday morning already? Ugh. Kind of world. That's the world we live in. Sunday night dread, because Monday morning is knocking on the door and we have to do it all over again. So what we need more than anything these days is rest, true rest. And Jesus offers that to us because he is our rest. And that's exactly what the disciples needed as they returned from their ministry adventures. So turn to Mark chapter 6 if you're not there yet. The disciples went out and did ministry for Jesus two by two and they came back and rest is what they needed. They needed to get alone with Jesus and rest. So look at Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30. Hear the word of the Lord. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now, recall what we've seen over the last few weeks in Mark chapter 6. Mark told us that Jesus was rejected in his hometown of Nazareth. Then he sent his disciples out two by two two to do ministry in the villages throughout Israel. And then as we saw last week, Mark interrupted his story of Jesus sending out the disciples and their return to him by telling us about the beheading of John the Baptist in prison. As we saw last week, Mark did this to remind his original audience and us that we will suffer for following Jesus. Disciples suffer. When we minister to others, we might, we will experience rejection and persecution. And we will become exhausted because ministry is exhausting. Ministry is exhausting. And it was for the disciples too. So as they return to Jesus in their passage today, Jesus tells them that they need to get away and get refreshed. They need rest. They can't keep up this pace without pausing to get renewed because it's not healthy. So Jesus calls them away to a desolate place to get away from it all and get recalibrated. The demands of ministry are so overwhelming that they can't even get a bite to eat. It's like they're trying to take a bite to eat, and there's just questions, and come pray for this person, and tell me about this person, and they want to see Jesus. They don't even have time to stop and eat, so they have to get in a boat and try to get away from it all. There's pressure. There's many needs. There are hurting people, and as we'll see next week, they never really get the rest that they need and desire because the crowds are so overwhelming. But at this point in the narrative, Jesus calls them away, and they actually have to get into a boat to escape the crowds in order to get along with Jesus and be refreshed. 
The disciples return from ministry, and the first thing Jesus says is, come away with me and get refreshed. Get rested up. Now, why? Because Jesus knows that ministry is hard. Jesus knows that ministry is exhausting. Did you know what Jesus was doing right before he said those words in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30? Come unto me and I'll give you rest. You know what he was doing? He was teaching people. And he pauses in the middle of his teaching and he prays to his father. And then he says back to the crowd, come unto me all who, are lab- who labor and need rest. I'll give it to you. In the middle of his own teaching, in his own ministry, he pauses, connects again with his heavenly father. And then he gives us those glorious words, come unto me. Jesus knows that ministry is exhausting. He knows that it will drain you. And as these 12 disciples went out two by two, they had to preach sermons. They had to teach Bible lessons. They had to get their hands dirty. They had to be around sick people. They had to confront crazy lunatics who were possessed by demons. And they had to cast these demons out. And they had to sit with people and hold their hands and listen to their stories. They sat with people who came from broken homes, people who had lost their jobs, People who had broken hearts, people who had lost a child to disease, people who had given up on life. No doubt these disciples were depleted when they returned to Jesus. Why? Because ministry is exhausting. In the villages of Israel, and in these four walls, and in these classrooms with hyperactive children, ministry is exhausting, isn't it? And in the city, And even sitting and listening to someone tell you their story. Ministry is exhausting. So there's a lesson here for all of us. Ministry will wear you out. Serving others is draining. Discipleship is exhausting. Raising your kids to know and love Jesus is work. Parenting is hard, right? Why didn't any of you tell me that before I had kids? Where are the people in my life who said raising kids is hard? I just watched them play in the, in the playground somewhere. I thought, let's have kids. This is wonderful. If you're newly married and you don't have kids yet, parenting is hard. But there's grace for that. It's wonderful. It is wonderful. But it's hard work. In whatever way that you love and serve and minister to others, it is difficult. It can be and is draining. It's exhausting. And therefore, you and I have to get away and be with Jesus to find rest, to find refreshment. This innate need for rest was built into us by God because we are not God. We can't do it all. We need food. We need sleep. We need breaks. There's a reason why Monday morning hurts so bad. Why does Monday morning hurt so bad? Because we run ourselves ragged. Monday morning hurts so bad because we often fail to rest on Sunday as we should. And that's why God gave us the Sabbath, to rest. I've told you this before. I've read it to you, but it bears repeating again because I need to hear it again. Ray Ortland said this about observing the Sabbath on Sunday. The point of the Sabbath is a dress rehearsal for a future eternity of glad rest in God. But in our frantic modern world, the Sabbath offers wisdom that has lasted since the beginning. It is not written on our calendars as much as we are built into its calendar. It seems to be part of the God-created rhythm for weekly human flourishing. If we did set apart one day each week for rejuvenation in God, we would immediately add to every year over seven weeks of vacation. And not for whatever, but for worship, for community, for mercy, for an afternoon nap, 
for reading and thinking, for lingering around the dinner table with good jokes and tender words and personal prayers. If you observe the Sabbath and you take a day of worship and rest, that adds up to over seven weeks of extra vacation every year. If that is not proof that God is good, I don't know what is. Who couldn't use seven more weeks of vacation? What if you went into work tomorrow and your boss said, you know what, I'm going to give you seven extra weeks of vacation this year. Your world would change, wouldn't it? We need the Sabbath. Why? Because we're all tired. We're all worn out. We all go and go and go and go. And Monday morning comes again because Monday morning is just so dang faithful. And we just want to break. And that's one reason why we don't have 10,000 programs here at Grace. We know that life is busy. As a church, we don't want to add to your exhaustion. We limit the programs we do here intentionally so that we're not burdening you and dumping more things on your plate because you're already busy. You're already booked tight. You already need a vacation. You already need a day at the spa. And God knew that we would work ourselves to death. So he came up with a vacation plan for humanity. It's called the Sabbath. The fourth commandment is actually one of the most relevant, relevant Bible verses for our culture. The fourth commandment, keep the Sabbath, is actually one of the most relevant Bible verses for our culture. God knew that we would work ourselves to death, so he came up with a plan to give us rest. One day a week, we can gather with our church family on Sunday, hear the good news of the gospel, get recalibrated, and then do it all again in seven days. Would you like seven extra weeks of vacation? Celebrate the Sabbath. Come and get connected to the rest of the body here at Grace, like the disciples are doing in our passage. Come and have your memory restored. Come be reminded of who you are in Christ Come and get connected to the rest of the body and be reminded of your true identity. Come to church on Sunday, fellowship in gospel community, sing your heart out to Jesus, hear the gospel preached, get refreshed, and then go home and take a nap to the glory of God. Or read a good book, or show mercy to those who need it, or linger around the dinner table with good jokes. Who doesn't love a good joke? And tender words and personal prayers. Why miss out on this? Why give up seven extra weeks of vacation? Why miss this opportunity together with your church family? Hear about Jesus. Hear about the forgiveness of your sins. Hear about heaven and hear that Jesus paid it all. We all come in here dragging our feet. And you know, what, you know how I know that? The most popular place here on Sunday morning is where? It's right over there where all the coffee is. If we took that coffee away, it would be like zombie church here. We all come in here dragging our feet, and we need to be reminded that Jesus paid it all. We need to be reminded that God's grace is big enough to cover our mess, big enough to cover the mess in our family. We need to be reminded that God does not deal with us according to our sins. Thank God. We need to be reminded that we have been wildly forgiven. When we rest and we celebrate the Sabbath, we are actually making a countercultural declaration against our own sinful hearts and against this workaholic world. In our rest, we are declaring that Jesus is God and we are not. 
In our rest, we worship the triune God for who he is by stating very clearly that we are finite human beings and that he alone is in control. We need him desperately, and when we rest, we remind ourselves of that need. To rest is to humble yourself. To rest is to admit that you are not God. To rest is to acknowledge that God is smarter than you, that God is wiser than you. And the smartest man in the universe is saying to you right now, come unto me and I will give you rest. I'm not the smartest man in the world, I should clarify. Jesus, as the smartest man in the world, is saying to you, come unto me and I will give you rest. Jesus is the burden lifter. He wants our burdens. He actually wants us to come and unload all that is weighing on our hearts and he will sit and listen to us ramble on and on and on. As they say, and I don't know if it's true, men and women are different and God has created this way, but they say what, women speak about 20,000 words a day and men seven, right? 7,000? Maybe seven, right? (laughs) I don't know if that's true or not, but experientially, I would say from the past few days, it is true for me because Heather and all of our older kids are down in Los Angeles, so I was left with Piper and Sapor, our six- and three-year-olds. So for the last three days, it's been a lot of talking, a lot of talking. They went beyond the 20,000 words. I texted Heather last night and said, I think they've spoken 350,000 words this weekend, and I was like... I just need some me time and some boy time. Bring Asher home and we can sit in a room and not say a word and that would be refreshing to me. But I would miss out on some of those moments because we had some great moments this weekend. Last night, Sapora she got a br- her own brush for Christmas. She's three and she was brushing her hair and she looked at it and this is what she said. Everybody got their hair in here and I only want my hair in here. I only want my hair in my brush. And as we're getting ready to go to bed, Piper said, what about the catechism? Let's do the catechism. So we did a little question and answer time. And I said to Sapora, I said, you know the answer to this. In how many persons are the one true God? I said, you know that. What is it, Birdie? And she said, look at my foot. Right? <laughs> That's how family devotions are. Right? You, you want to talk about Jesus and they bring up the weirdest thing ever. My point is that girls, and I love my girls, and they could just go on and on. And sometimes I kind of reach that point where I'm like, honest, and I honestly thought this last night, I have to get up and preach tomorrow. I don't want to talk. I'm, I'm done with words for the weekend. And I have to get up and talk. Jesus will just sit and listen to us ramble on and on and on. He wants your burdens. He wants your pain. He wants your sorrow. I sat in my chair this morning drinking my coffee and praying, and I just unloaded all of this stuff that's just been weighing on my heart and mind to Jesus. Stuff about my kids, their future, my grandkids, what's going on in my life, my world, my heart. I was just unloading it one by one, saying, here, take it. Take it. I'm just going to dump it out. Please take it. I can't carry this anymore. It is killing me. It is exhausting me. It's consuming my mind. I've got to get rid of it, Jesus. Take it. He's the burden lifter. In verse 30, the disciples unload on Jesus when they come back to him. They tell him about their ministry adventures. They just dump it all out. 
That's what it means to come to Jesus. Unload on him. Just pour your heart out like a kid on Halloween who comes home and they take their candy out and they just dump it all over the floor and they just look, they're looking at all their loot. What did they get? And they just kind of pick and sift through it. That's what Jesus wants us to do, to just dump it all out on the floor and he will sift through it and he will pick each one up. All of your cares, all of your burdens, all of your frustrations. And he will give you rest. And when you come to Jesus and you just dump it all out, he sifts through it, he picks up each one, each burden, each care, and he says, I will carry this for you. I will help you. I am your kinsman redeemer, and I will personally take all of these issues on as my own. Your care, your concern, it's mine. Your problem, it's mine now. Your burden, it's mine. It belongs to me now. Don't you long for a savior like that? Well, guess what? He longs for that too. He wants to be that for you. It's why he came. It's why he sent you an invitation that says, come unto me and I will give you rest. Who has Jesus invited to his Sabbath rest party? It's not who you would think. He goes to the bottom of the barrel. He doesn't go to Beverly Hills. He invites the down and out, those who feel tired and exhausted, who know their need, and those who are just disappointed with life. Are you disappointed with life, how your life has turned out? You are the one he wants. Jesus is looking for those who labor and are heavy laden. You know what that means? Jesus wants the real you, not the social media you. Come on, let's all be honest. Our version of us is a little better on social media. Jesus wants the real you. No filters. When you come to Jesus, he says, come unto me, hashtag no filter. He wants the real you. The messy you, the damaged you, the angry you, the bitter you, the worried you, the my kids are driving me crazy you, the my spouse is driving me crazy you, the, that person at church, that person at work, that person in my neighborhood is driving me crazy, you. He wants the real you. He welcomes people with baggage. He welcomes people with issues. People who are messed up. People who can't seem to get their act together. 40 years I've been a Christian, I still can't get my act together. People with a past that still haunts them. People who are greeted each morning with a list of regrets. That's who Jesus wants. Jesus is inviting all parents who blow it and feel like they aren't doing a good job. That was me this week. I just felt like as a parent, I stink. So I had to go to Jesus and just dump out all of my feelings, my sorrows, my sin. And you can do that too if you think you stink as a parent. Jesus is inviting parents who have regrets and wish they could go back and raise their kids better. He's inviting husbands and wives who at best are just functional roommates. He's inviting people who secretly or maybe even outwardly wish they had never gotten married to the person that they married. He's inviting young people who are trying to find their place in this world. He's inviting old people. He's inviting middle-aged people. People who are confused. People who are lost. People who feel hopeless. People who just want to die. But at a practical level, how do we come to him for his grace and for his rest? 
We have to get away and rest in his presence, and we have to do that individually and corporately. Number one, individually. You have to get alone with Jesus, read his word, and pray. You have to go, like we saw last week, and, and place your love and your heart into his hand. You have to cast your burdens on the Lord. You have to know Jesus personally. But then we also have to do it corporately. You have to come here every week and get refreshed and find rest with your church family. We all have to get renewed each week together as the body of Christ. And that happens through the preaching of the word and through the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper and through fellowship and through prayer. The reformers referred to this as the means of grace. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 88, asks and answers, what are the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption? Answer, the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption are his ordinances, especially the word, sacraments, and prayer, all which are made effectual to the elect for salvation. God, in his infinite wisdom and according to his sovereignty, has chosen the means where he has concentrated his availability, where he has concentrated his grace, where he has concentrated his rest. And if we will come to Jesus on his terms, we will find that the outward and ordinary means of grace can be for us like a gushing fountain of mercy for sinners like us. Please understand, Jesus is not playing catch me if you can with us. He wants us to be sure of him. He wants us to be sure of his promises and then to confidently come to him and draw strength from him so that we can live for his glory. Jesus does not give himself to us in any way that we can come up with. He's not letting us come up with the rules of how we experience him. He has made himself knowable and accessible in specific ways of his own wise choosing through the means of grace. That's where he has concentrated his grace, his availability, his mercy, his rest. He says, come to me, my people, and here's how I will communicate to you the benefits of my redemption. Through my word, through baptism in the Lord's Supper, and through prayer. We see this early in the book of Acts, right? Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. It's like Luke is texting us these four emojis here in the book of Acts and telling us how to get refreshed, how to find rest. The preaching of God's word, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. Now, I know there has been some debate on that very last emoji there, okay? Is that high five emojis or those praying hands emojis? Well, if you look close, the two thumbs are on the same side, which you wouldn't see with two people giving high fives. So there you go, praying hands, I guess. Who knows? But for now, for me, for this sermon, sermon, that's praying hands emoji. I really don't have a dog in the fight and don't really care. And these four emojis have been the pattern of the people of God for all times. We gather with other believers because we are a family. We gather to hear God's word, to fellowship, to spend time with one another, to celebrate the gospel through the ordinances, and to pray together. 
Notice that the disciples in Mark chapter 6 are together being refreshed and renewed. They're gathering together to be with Jesus. And that's why we gather each Sabbath to hear God's word, to worship, to pray, to fellowship together. We come here because all week long we work and we're exhausted from jobs. We're exhausted from kids and all their activities. We're exhausted from school, from family, and we just need rest. We need to be renewed. When we gather on Sunday, it should be the most refreshing and fueling and renewing and recalibrating time of our week. Church is supposed to be refreshing. If you don't leave here refreshed, you're just like, give me my money back. I want a refund. It's like jumping into a cool swimming pool when it's 100 degrees outside. Church is supposed to be like taking a long drink of some sweet tea on a hot summer day. Church is supposed to be like a day at the spa. Like an afternoon nap in a hammock. That's what church is supposed to be like. Ray Ortland says, we don't drive down to church on Sunday mornings because we want more drama in our lives. We want his green pastures and still waters. I venture to say we all have enough drama in our lives, don't we? We come here because we want green pastures, still waters. Isn't that what you want? Green pastures and still waters. When you walk through these doors, it should feel like green pastures and still waters to you. You should leave here. When someone asks you how church was, you should be able to say, it was like laying down in soft green pastures with this gentle breeze blowing. It was so peaceful, so refreshing. It was like listening to and enjoying very quiet, still waters, a stream. It was peaceful. It was restful. I actually enjoyed the living God today. I put my love and heart into his hand and it is well with my soul. That's worship. It's when it's green pastures and still waters. That's what corporate worship is supposed to be like. It's refreshing. It's refueling. It's recalibrating. It's renewing. It's pure enjoyment. Who wants in on this? I do. I want more of it here at Grace. It's what this city needs, and it's what your neighbors need, and your coworkers need, and your family members need. And my hunch is that deep down inside, this world is craving green pastures. They're craving still waters. Why not tell them about Jesus? Why not invite them to church? But understand this. If our primary purpose with church is just merely to get connected on Sunday morning in fellowship, if that's it, then that's all we'll get when we gather, is one another. All we'll get is one another. If the primary purpose of gathering on Sunday is just to fellowship and be with one another, then that's all we'll get and we'll end up angry because we can't satisfy one another. Only Jesus can satisfy our thirsty hearts. Only Jesus gives us the rest that we want and need. But if we put him first and take him at his word, and we come to him first, then... We have something to offer one another. That's how we will ever have anything to give to one another. We have to take Jesus up on his promise, take him up on his invitation to come and rest. And if we do that, when we gather, we'll be able to offer each other something, namely Jesus, Christ, and all his benefits. That's exactly what Jesus is getting at when he tells the disciples in verse 31, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. We're going to talk more about it next week, but the desolate place they are called to is the wilderness, which was the place of refreshment. It's where the nation of Israel had their honeymoon with Yahweh. 
So Jesus is saying to the disciples, come away and be renewed, be refreshed, and then go minister to others, and I'll see you right back here again. Same bad time, same bad channel. That's church every week. Same bad time, same bad channel. Same means of grace. Same message. Jesus loves sinners. Listen, ministry is not supposed to refresh us. Think about that. Serving others and ministering to others is not supposed to refresh us. Jesus is. Because if we look to ministry to refresh us, it'll either lead to pride or despair. Despair if you feel like you're not successful. Despair if numbers drop and you don't have the numbers that you want. Despair if you don't get the response from people that you want when you minister to them. Or if you do, you'll become prideful because you'll be like, look how big the church is growing. We're 1,000, we're 2,000, we have numbers. Look at all this stuff happening, and that will lead to pride. Ministry is not designed to refresh us. Jesus is, and when he refreshes us, then we go out and minister and serve. This also means that if our primary primary purpose as a church is just to do outreach, just to show mercy, just to work for justice, then we'll end up exhausted as well. Our main purpose is to take Jesus up on his word and come find rest so that we can go out on mission. Only Jesus gives us rest. Mission does not give us rest. So many people push mission, evangelism, serving, doing things for the Lord, overseas mission, and they push that as the thing that's designed to give rest. That is not designed to give rest. Mission does not give rest. That's what Jesus is trying to get the disciples to learn here. You need to come home from your mission and get refueled and renewed and then go out and do it again. Our fuel for mission is not the mission itself. Our fuel for mission is Jesus. And if we will put him first and come to him first, then we will be renewed for endless mission. And then what do we tell others when they visit this church? We tell them this, to all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and desire strength, to all who sin and need a Savior, this church opens wide her doors with the welcome from Jesus Christ, the ally of his enemies, the defender of the guilty, the justifier of the inexcusable, and the friend of sinners. Welcome. We want to welcome others here and invite them to the same thing that we come for. We come for rest, meaning we come here to be with Jesus. We come here to be refreshed by Jesus, the green pastures and the still waters. And that's what we are inviting others to as well. Whatever color they are, whatever background, wherever they live, wherever they come from, however they identify themselves, Mayonnaise lover or mayonnaise hater? Hey, we welcome mayonnaise lovers here. That's grace. And it's a foretaste of eternity. Actually, I shouldn't say foretaste and then right after that say mayonnaise. That, those words are, shouldn't be that close together in a, in a paragraph. Foretaste and mayonnaise, no thank you. But gathering together with a bunch of diverse people is a foretaste of eternity. Different races, languages, nationalities, gathering together, observing the Sabbath. It's a dress rehearsal of our future rest in God for eternity. It's a dress rehearsal for the coming party, the wedding supper of the Lamb. Every week we get a foretaste, an appetizer to hold us over until the big day. Matthew 11 is 
really just Jesus, to put it in our terms, it's Jesus texting you. Will you respond to his text? How will you respond to his text? Which emoji will you use when Jesus texts you and says, come unto me? Jesus is texting you the gospel today in four emojis. I will give you rest. Whoever you are, find yourself in this picture. Find an emoji in that text that Jesus has sent you. Whoever you are, Jesus will give you rest. Maybe you're a construction worker or a policeman or a detective or a nurse or a chef or a teacher or a farmer or an artist or a synthwave punk rock girl with pink hair. She's in there. Or a Mac computer snob. He's in there. Or a fireman, or a judge, or a bride-to-be, or an astronaut, or a queen. Or even if you're an elf that lives in Middle Earth. See him on the bottom? Or a genie, or a mermaid, or a vampire, or even a zombie. It doesn't matter who you are, or however you identify yourself, or what you do for a living, or what you love, or what you hate. If you come to Jesus, he will give you rest. He will give you rest because he is rest. That's the gospel in four emojis. I will give you rest. How will you respond to his text? Maybe with the shrug emoji? Face palm emoji? Oh, Jesus, again? Again with the come unto me thing? The thinking face emoji? Hmm, let me think about that. Or will you respond with the smiling face with hard eyes emoji? That's faith. Smiling face with hard eyes emoji. That's what saves. As we prayed earlier in our service, when Jesus is our greatest treasure, everything else shrinks to its proper size. When you respond to Jesus' text with the smiling face with heart eyes emoji, everything shrinks to its proper place. Jesus lived a perfect life for you. Jesus died on the cross for you, for your sins. God raised him from the dead. He's coming again. And because of this, the good news, you can have peace with God. Will you obey this offer of rest today? Will you obey the gospel and come? Jesus is offering you forgiveness of sins and fullness of joy today. He is offering you an eternity of refreshment an eternity of green pastures, an eternity of still waters, an eternity that is like jumping into a cool swimming pool when it's 100 degrees outside, an eternity that is like taking a long drink of some sweet tea on a hot summer day, an eternity that is like a day at the spa, an eternity that is like an afternoon nap in a hammock. He's offering you rest. Jesus is saying these very words to you right now. Hear him. Come unto me, and I will give you rest. Perhaps you say, Lord, I cannot give you anything. Well, guess what? He does not want anything. Come to Jesus, and he says, I will give you. Not what you give to God, but what he gives to you. That will be your salvation. I will give you. That is the gospel in four words. He will give you his righteousness. Will you come and have it? It lies open before you today, just open the empty hands of faith. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are 
the friend of sinners, that you are gentle and kind. Your yoke is kindness. We don't deserve it. We deserve your wrath and your anger. We deserve your sword, your judgment. And yet, because you're so good and kind, you unleashed all of that on Jesus on the cross for our sins. And so we are humbled by that today. Help us to just dump out all of our burdens at your feet, knowing that by your grace and by your power, you can enable us and transform us through all of it. But there's hope. Restore us, refresh us, renew us, and help us to go invite other people to this party. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.